Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. You're hearing the scurry of bumblebees on a fall flowering clematis that is outside my screened porch, smelling heavenly in its white array of fluff. Some people pronounce it clematis, just like tomato, tomato, clematis, clematis. I don't consider myself a horticulturalist, more just a lover of all things green. And uh, I'm glad you are too. I'm on my screen porch and Ellie just joined me with that treat ball I was telling you about, so you may hear that rolling in the background. I am just admiring the little bees here, bumblebees, flitting about on this cloud of white magnificence. I was hoping I'd get that bird sound I heard earlier, and I'm sure as soon as I sign off it's going to come back. but. Um, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. I hope you grab yours and we will get started with our chat. Ellie's enjoying her breakfast. (laughs) So if I may read a bit from my column about the sweet autumn clematis, which I often call fall flowering clematis because, of course, it blooms in the fall. I will read excerpts of it and hopefully... You know, we can talk a little bit about the glories that some people think may be invasive. It starts out with, hello, fellow readers. One of my favorite vines is the sweet autumn clematis in her glory this time of year with a plethora of tiny white blooms from August through September that looks like a snowdrift and smells heavenly. Once the blooms are spent, a silvery blanket of seed heads follows, contrasting beautifully with the dark, almost blue-green leaves. Much to dear Kurt's dislike, I let this beauty scramble up the screened porch stairs and make its way onto the screens themselves. I just love the fragrance brought in by the cooler evening breeze as I snag the last of the season porch campouts on the futon. Although I have to admit, I don't stop camping out there. Sometimes even in the winter, I'm out there all bundled up just to get some of that fresh air and frozen nose hairs, which (laughs) seems odd to folks, but I love that frigid, cold winter air at times. Anyway, getting on to my column. I often recommend the sweet autumn clematis as a substitute for wisteria and trumpet vines because many folks get those other vines that are really tough on structures. I mean, they can take down a pergola, they can take down an arbor, So the sweet autumn clematis is very soft wooded, but it does grow 20 feet a season. But she's a real softy, I wrote. Her soft wooded nature won't harm rails or screens for that matter. Plus, she blooms on new wood, so size can easily be managed without missing out on the glorious blooms. What that means is new wood, so the season of growth, the new sprouts that come from the plant is where the flower heads will arrive other plants that we'll talk about over time uh, bloom on old wood. So again, that's the benefit of this softy. Each year when dormant, I cut her down to about a foot above ground. 
But if you have a pergola you're looking to cover, let her run. I've even let her scramble on the ground as a ground cover with great success. But like all clematis, she's not considered deer resistant. She's listed actually as occasionally severely damaged, but I haven't had Bambi interfere. Although I have to admit, maybe it's her ambitious nature that allows the nibbles to go unnoticed. In the column, I specified that um, the Clematis turniflora is hardy from zone 5 to 8. Some say 9. This is one of those unknowns in horticulture. When you research a plant, you can learn that the USDA hardiness zone varies from sources. So one of the things I suggest to folks is when they're considering a plant, they ask their, hopefully a local nursery that you frequent, ask them their opinion on your zone specific to there. Because like here, although I'm considered a zone six with the uh, elevations that I'm living in, I'm not far from the Appalachian Trail, for example, um, I consider this a 5B. And that's been my observation just in terms of plant survival rates over winter. So anyway, Clematis turniflora is basically a zone five to nine, let's just say. Like many clematis, she likes to have cool feet and sunny heads, which means cool roots and sunny foliage for those of you who don't think of plants as having people parts. People parts comes from my mom who gave me my garden start. That's what she used to call our people parts. What else do I need to say? Anyway, I have one happy sweet autumn clematis doing fine in the afternoon shade. You can mulch generously or shade the roots with a companion plant such as a low-growing hydrangea. I'm a big fan of ruby slipper, oak leaf hydrangea, hydrangea quercofolia. It's one of my favorites that comes to mind, and the ruby slipper name just makes me think of the Wizard of Oz, doesn't it? There are people that consider the fall flowering clematis invasive or overly prolific, let's say. So I referred to Michael Durr, in the column, who wrote the Manual of Woody Plants. He's considered the uh, guru of woody plant material, I'd say, in this horticultural industry, although many of my clients have purchased his book, again, the Manual of Woody Plants. It's kind of a dry book in the sense that there's no photographs, but there's a lot of botanical drawings and things, and some of his descriptions are actually quite clever and humorous, but he's, he's really knowledgeable. I've met him in person a few times. So he, he writes, and I quote, Probably the easiest clematis to grow as it seems to thrive with neglect. Perfect, I wrote, because gosh, that makes it easy to garden, doesn't it? Then he adds, extremely vigorous to the point of viciousness. There, there, worrywarts. Maybe his Georgia garden location has something to do with it. Durer did end with kudos, saying, The soft fragrance is delightful, and I've allowed the plant to scramble over crate myrtles. Delightfulness overcomes viciousness. I always end my column with guard dilemmas. AskMaryStone.com Stay tuned for part two, which brings me to the topic of rain, water, and snow harvesting. Good morning. It is Labor Day, which many consider the official end of summer, which it isn't at all. In fact, I think there's 20 more days. I am on this green porch, and you may hear the rain that is falling, um, very dark and gloomy. But there's something cozy about rain, and uh, actually, as much as we've had a rainy season, 
as of late, we've had some dryness, and so I can feel the plants feeling happy for their watering. Before I share the story or information on rainwater harvesting, I have to comment on the smell of this fall flowering clematis. I am sticking with my chosen pronunciation of clematis, but won't hold it against those that prefer clematis. Tomato, tomato. I just find that so amusing. Anyway, it smells more heavenly in this dampness, although I don't hear the buzzing of the bees, which is kind of sad. I imagine they're hiding from this rain, but the aroma is incredible. And I encourage those of you that would enjoy something soft and fluffy climbing along your home. It doesn't do any damage because it's soft wooded. I encourage you to add this to your garden. So I have to tell you, I, I, uh, have, a <laughs> I have a new strategy that I started to uh, enter into my gardening life um, during the winter, in fact, when I started collecting snow and melting it in five-gallon spackle buckets because I had heard that snow melted is a good nutrient for indoor plants. And so, of course, there are rain barrels that you can attach to your gutters and actually use to water your gardens and whatnot, harvesting the rain off of the roof. And uh, I considered it, actually, but I have to admit, I kind of enjoy the process of using a five-gallon speckle bucket. And actually, I use an outdoor dog watering bowl that I have for Ellie to gather from one of the more active rain gutters and put it into my gallon bucket, five-gallon bucket, and uh, I keep it as a stash to water my indoor plants, which I had never thought about before until I did some research on the benefits of rainwater for your garden and indoor plants. So I will share that column with you, but I just wanted to uh, listen to the raindrops for a little bit. And, and it's also kind of an interesting correlation to the five-gallon speckle bucket that was Ellie's water bowl when she was first recovered from her miserable situation in Georgia, living in full sun with no protection from the heat. And her water bowl was a speckle bucket. So anyway, I'm using a speckle bucket now, but in a positive way. And um, I will share the story of why. So I mentioned about uh, rainwater harvesting or snow harvesting, and uh, I want to tell you how that came about for me, which um, of course I wrote a column about, so I'll read some excerpts of that. But it was, it was basically, I had this Christmas cactus that I inherited from a certain ex-husband long, long ago, and um, I remember when I first saw this plant, I mean, it was so just disintegrated, looking horrible, barely alive. And I adopted it then and adapted it with new soil and gave it some loving care and it started blooming this amazing hot pink. And uh, so even though it was riddled with old dead wood, I was able to revive it and it bloomed beautifully for many, many years. Though it always bloomed around Thanksgiving, despite coming from the Bucklea group, which bloom at Christmas time. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but uh, I wrote a column about Thanksgiving versus Christmas cactus, which you can research and find, or just you know go onto my website, gardendilemmas.com, and you can find that column, Thanksgiving versus Christmas cactus, and it goes through the whole specifics of each. But this one 
was supposed to be the one that was supposed to bloom at Christmas, but it always bloomed at Thanksgiving. But I saw wisdom in that. In recent years, the cactus returned to its stick-like state and hadn't bloomed for six years. Like many things that come with memories, I have a tough time tossing them, especially plants. They're living things, after all. So as a last attempt before the compost pile, my Christmas cactus spent the summer outside on the garden table. The roots were nibbled by chipmunks that live in the rock wall opposing the spot. Moss soon took up residence, creating a plush blanket below the cactus. As the rainy summer unfolded, it came back to life. Now this was last summer, by the way. Perhaps the root pruning of the chipmunks helped? For sure, the nitrogen from the rainwater did, increasing the fertility of the soil. Plus, rainwater brings oxygen to the roots, which, especially for succulents, keeps them from suffocating in flooding conditions. I moved the cactus indoors before the frost, and lo and behold, it bloomed once again. It hadn't occurred to me until then to water plants with rainwater, you know, especially indoor plants because they're not getting rained on. Of course, there are rain barrels you can buy to gather the runoff from your roof, which is awesome because it's filled with organic material and plant debris and pollen and even bird droppings that come off your roof <laughs> or that land on your roof, get into the water of the rain barrel, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. So I considered getting a rain barrel, but I have to admit, as I said earlier, I enjoy the uh, collection of rain in process. So anyway, as it turned out when I wrote this column, of course it was winter, and we had snow on the ground, and so I thought, well, gee whiz, let me just gather the snow and melt it in the garage, and that way I can use that as uh, my plant-watering, nutrient-rich rainwater melted from snow. Seems to make sense, right? And by the way, rainwater harvesting began in ancient times. I mean, this is protocols that was done many times. And of course, the rain barrel that you may want to use in your own garden is something you use during the uh, growing season. And of course, depending on the kind you get, you'll need to empty the water uh, for winter unless it can take the frozen expansion of the tundra that occurs here. So anyway, the reason rainwater is so valuable is it's free from salts and treatment chemicals found in public water, as well as surface or groundwater which more dramatically accumulates in potted plants. I have a well here, but sadly, even well water is not what it used to be because of the chemical pesticides that have been used since the 1940s. Now, in this area, not so much. I certainly don't use anything that's nasty <laughs> in my garden or lawn, but even if you don't, um, it's amazing what gathers into your aquifer. So, so again, the rainwater is free of that. The overuse of phosphates has impacted soil, thereby causing water to become out of balance. Rainwater is an ideal pH 7, slightly acidic, unlike municipal water, typically kept alkaline to preserve pipes. Plus, one of the key nutrients of plants that they need to have to survive is nitrates, which is a combination of nitrogen and oxygen, which is found in rainwater. So there you go. So this column was written close to uh, Christmas, and I end with, So, Santa, a rain barrel would make a perfect gift to look forward to putting into use come spring. During the winter months, why not gather snow in five-gallon buckets and allow it to melt at room temperature to treat your indoor plants to a nutritious boost? You can save some melted snow and repurpose milk jugs between snowfalls, too. See that, snow naysayers? Frosty can be very welcome coming back to town. Garden Dilemmas? 
askmarystone.com. When I wrote this and it was published, Kurt said, so I guess you're hinting you want a rain barrel? And I said, no, 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 I don't. I love collecting it. So it's been my thing. I've been doing it since I wrote the column last December, and I will continue doing it. I know, it's kind of weird, but I do enjoy it. I think you will too. Ah, I can't forget this part of it. I mentioned that I saw wisdom in my Christmas cactus that bloomed at Thanksgiving. Actually, I'm going to read this column just the last paragraph of it, the original Christmas versus Thanksgiving cactus column, and then I'll chat a little bit more. You see, my cactus came into my life by way of adoption. The previous parent, that would be my ex, had no idea if she ever bloomed. Christmas cactus are a tropical cactus, not a desert cactus, and therefore cannot tolerate completely dry soil. It was easy to figure out that the dehydrated plant didn't have enough moisture or nutrients to put energy into flowering. Poor thing was totally neglected rather than nurtured and encouraged to flourish. Thank God for the gift of recovery, forgiveness, and the joy of new beginnings. So what I was referring to was the heartache that I went through during that time in my life. And um, in, a, in a mysterious way, that Christmas cactus is a symbol, if you will, of um, a plant that was neglected <laughs> to one that was loved to a marriage that grew distant and apart due to the neglect and isolation of addiction and um, the courage to move on, which was tough for me, um, but managed through it. And uh, interesting that this, once again, this cactus got sickly and ugly and stickly and dry and uh, with the gift of nature and rain, it recovered and I gave it another shot and uh, I am blessed in my own life to have another shot at love with um, the arrival of my unexpected furry messenger, is how I refer to Ellie, and uh, and then a dear man in my life that arrived soon after that, named Kurt, that you've been hearing about. So there is hope. There is hope for all of us, even though we go through tough times in this cycle of life, in this garden of life. Thanks for listening. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.